Hello, beautiful. This is Reverend Jennifer Hadley, and the recording you're about to listen to is part of the 2011 Living a Course in Miracles teleclass. Our intention in offering this class is to give you clear tools and practices that you can use to align with love every day in every area of your life. No one can do your healing for you. You must decide to choose love in every moment to the very best of your ability. Remember, miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. Intend to live a miraculous life of love and share the benefits of your healing and your expansion with everyone because you're one with them. Please pause the recording before the class starts and write down your intention in listening to the class. Partner up with your own higher Holy Spirit self. And please go to jenniferhadley.com for more tools and practical loving support every day. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the class. So I invite everyone to take a deep breath and place your hand on your heart. Let us give thanks right now that we are coming together for a holy purpose. We are coming together to be inspired, to be motivated, to choose love. We consciously partner up with the Holy Spirit, the higher Holy Spirit self. And we're intent on remembering our true identity as the perfect givers and receivers of love. Saying yes to the highest possibility in our life and invoking divine grace into every activity, every aspect of our being, aligning with that high vibration of love, placing onto the holy altar fire of divine love any limiting thought, any thought of separation that we've ever entertained at any time so grateful right now to consciously intend to release any habit that we have of self-criticism self-doubt self-blame self-shame letting it all go and we are sharing this healing and sharing the benefits of our healing with everyone everywhere because we're one with them. All boats rise on this holy tide of love, and we give thanks to accept it fully, to allow it to be, and to know that in the mind of the infinite, it's already accomplished. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. So, Chris Cade, welcome to Living a Course in Miracles. <laughs> Hello, it's great to be here. Yeah, and so you picked our topic for tonight, so I'm guessing that it's something that you have a real passion about. Yes, yeah, self-criticism is uh, what I've observed in my own spiritual development. It is the number one barrier to really... Uh, developing ourselves and self-realization, oneness, peace. It's that little voice inside our, set, inside our head that's telling us when we're not good enough. And almost every form of self-criticism comes down to not being enough. You know, we can say we're not good, good enough, not pretty enough, um, not lovable enough, unlovable. I mean, no matter how you spin it, it all comes down to not feeling like we're enough. And any time we're in that space of not enough, then not only are we kind of going against all of what law of attraction teachers talk about abundance, but really we're going against our nature, which is always enough, always full, always one. And so that that voice tells us that we are identified with the ego in a way that we are not able to fully be ourselves in the world. So I'm very passionate about it because it is, in my experience, the number one limiting factor. And so in your experience of working with this voice of self-criticism, has this been something that you have uh, overcome or healed? It's a practice every day. 
um, you know, to be totally candid, that's part of why I'm passionate about it is because it's about walking this path and living this path. And I really love the the experience of John Nash in A Beautiful Mind and that he was a, a brilliant, um, you know, brilliant mathematician and, and won the Nobel Prize and then just had a schizophrenic breakdown and his mind just, you know, kind of twisted and contorted against itself. And the whole time he kept hearing voices and eventually he healed from it. And when he came out of that, he said, you know what? The voices didn't go away. I just learned not to pay attention to them anymore. And I found that really helpful when we're looking at the the voice of the inner critic because so often we identify with it and we say, well, I am unworthy. I am unlovable. I am not pretty enough. And we don't realize that voice isn't actually ours. And so even in my daily life, there are times where I will notice some sort of judgment towards myself or towards another, and I can acknowledge and say, that isn't me. I don't have to identify with that. So it still is a, a practice for me every day. And um, the great thing is, you know, as you learn to recognize it each passing day, in my experience, that judgment towards myself or another happens less frequently. And the real important thing is it doesn't have as much energy behind it. So eventually it becomes like, oh, that was another judgment. Okay, great. I can let it go. Instead of being like, oh, I just judged myself or I just judged another, you know, it's very easy when we follow a spiritual path, especially one like The Course in Miracles, where there's a lot around forgiveness and a lot around judgment and projections to think that when we judge another or ourselves, that we're actually bad. And that's just self-judgment perpetuating itself. And so I think it's really important to be able to step back and realize that voice isn't our true nature. And when we understand that, we don't have to take the judgment so personally, and it's much easier to let it go. So long story short, yes, it's something I work with every day, and I'm very passionate about. So when you say that this voice of self-criticism that people hear in their minds isn't them, what is it? Well, that's a good Let's go back to childhood and how the the ego and the inner critic actually develop. You know, I think it was week three you had with John Mundy, if I'm correct, and um, he said the ego is that which defines. And so mm-hmm. when we look at our youth and our childhood, first we come into the world without an ego. We're totally one, but we lack the capacity to discern. We lack the capacity to even to crawl, speak, walk, identify anything. And so what happens is to to actually develop our capacity as a human, we need to develop the ability to discern things. That is something moving fast. I do not want to step in front of it. Now, stepping forward as we develop more, what happens is our mind starts to identify with what we then define. And so instead of just saying that's something fast, I don't want to step in front of it, we recognize I don't want to step in front of it because I'm a person. I do not want to die. And then it keeps on going further. So then we realize, well, all this feedback from the outer world, parents, peers, society, teachers and authority figures, every influence we have in the world, we're now identifying with some way that we are related to. So if all of our teachers are telling us we're really smart, we are going to start to identify with being smart. So it's no longer just that we have intelligence and it manifests in the world. It is now I am smart and suddenly there are other people that are not as smart. And that's where the comparative judgment comes in. And the inner critic is really developed as a way to protect ourselves. It's developed actually out of an experience of love for our survival in that when parents and teachers are telling us what kind of person we are or they're scolding us for doing something wrong, we internalize that and we say, okay, well, I don't want to do that again or I will get in trouble. So if I want to be a quote-unquote good son or good student, here's the ways I must behave to survive. You know, and as a child, we don't have the capacity to survive on our own. You know, we have someone else to feed us, to change our diaper, uh, even to help us sleep sometimes if we're not 
able to do that, to release and relieve and take care of our physical needs. And so it really is this ego and inner critic that develops out of a, a survival need and a love for ourselves to survive. And then the challenge, of course, is the inner critic then later on forgets that that's why it came to be. So as an adult, now it's all been driven into our subconscious brain, and we can no longer really consciously recognize that we're not in that survival mode anymore. We can now walk and talk and eat, and we don't have to always comply with every single external request in order for us to survive. It may feel that way, and that's why inner critic work is so important. But really what happens is we internalize these voices of our parents and authority figures, teachers and colleagues and friends, and we internalize it way into our subconscious that we don't even realize it's not us anymore. So that kind of circles back in that this ego and inner critic, it really isn't us. It is an internalization of all the other voices in our childhood that we listened to so that we could survive. And so really by recognizing that and understanding that history, we have so many more tools available to us to really understand how and why the voice now isn't serving us. We don't need to have our diapers changed anymore, at least not most of us. And we don't need <laughs> to have, you know, um, you know, when we're looking at something like a job situation, this could be a very real challenge. We have a boss that's critical of us, and we internalize that, and we do whatever we need to to keep that job to survive. Now, our inner critic is probably judging us every step of the way. Oh, you messed up that one, and your your boss is going to totally fire you tomorrow. And that may not actually be true. And it may actually limit us from doing our job effectively because we're so identified with self-criticism that we can't actually step forward and do what's needed of us. And that's just one small example, but it happens in every aspect of our relationship. You know, if we look at um, relationships, we look at work, we look at family, uh, especially parenting. Anybody who's a parent, which I happen to be, I have an almost five-year-old son, and, um, you know, the inner critic is so fierce when it comes to parenting because we want the best for our child. And to have this voice, you know, every time we aren't totally in alignment with what we want for our child, every time we maybe act out in a way that isn't ideal or what we think is not ideal, that voice comes right into our head and, you know, has something to say about being a bad parent. So that's one of the ones where I really um, I have a passion for, and I think I'll be helping parents more specifically in the future with their inner critics. Uh, but it really, it infiltrates every aspect of our lives, and we don't recognize it's from the past. It's from our childhood. It's not from where we're living our space now in life. And so what... What do you recommend for people who are suffering? So your topic is about moving from the habit of self-criticism to self-appreciation. What are the tools and the methods that you have used at work? The first piece is actually just to be aware of it. So often we are identified with the criticism, I'm not enough, I'm not worthy, I'm a bad parent, whatever it is. Often we're so identified with it, we don't recognize it's not us. So mm -hmm. the moment that we can just recognize, I just judged myself or another, we've taken a huge, huge step towards allowing ourselves to, to really step into self-acceptance and self-love. And that's the next piece, which is to forgive ourselves. I just judged that wasn't me, that is not me, I am whole, I am okay, and it happens. You know, this voice from my childhood is still around, it hasn't disappeared, it happens sometimes. Rather than taking on the identity, identity again of, I am a bad person for judging, then we're just really perpetuating it. So the second we can acknowledge it and then forgive ourselves and just say, it happened, I'm going to let it go. Those two steps are the most critical, but the third one is what really uh, pins down the inner critic, and that is to question it. The inner critic cannot stand up to scrutiny. It cannot stand up to discernment, and the reason why it can't do that is because truth is ultimately what heals. It is the ultimate dissolver of all that is not real. 
And so when we start questioning the inner critic, is that really true that I'm a bad parent? Is it really true that if I don't do this or that, that my entire world will crumble? Am I really a bad person because of this? And to really figure out why, because when we understand the why, what we're doing is bringing those subconscious stories from our past and bringing it up to the conscious and then, you know, really looking at it going, well, you know, when I was a child, I needed to have my needs met. And so I did act in this particular way to be the good child. Is it necessary now to act in that same way? The inner critic can't stand up to truth. And so the one really nice thing about, um, you know, if we were to think about, in, in some context, the, the epic battle, you know, in spirituality, we're, we're all driven to spirituality because of an ego need to release usually some sort of pain or conflict in our life. And our ego says, this pain is so bad that I need to do something about it, and what I'm doing isn't working. So we turn to spirituality. So it's actually interesting to acknowledge that even the ego is what drives us into spirituality, and then once we're in that space, uh, you know, it's that pursuit of truth, of questioning the inner critic, of really looking at it religiously, religiously in the sense of like very determined to understand the inner critic. Then all of that old past stuff gets brought into the subconscious, into the conscious, and we can see it for the falsehood that is and realize that isn't who we are. You know, it's one thing to say that's not me, but it's a different thing to really use truth as that driving force into the inner critic and, and to help dissolve that and to, to release a lot of the energy and the hold that it has on us. So I really you... look at, I was just going to say, you know, for me it's really a three-step process, which is acknowledge that I judged, forgive myself, and then unrelenting questioning of that inner critic. Can you say those three steps again, Chris? Yeah, you bet. Uh, first, acknowledge. Just realize that I judged myself or another. Second is to forgive myself. Accept it. Allow it. Realize judgment happens, and I'm not going to choose to identify with it or hold on to it. And then the third step is to really question that inner critic and find out, is what it is telling me true? Is it true from the deepest parts of my being? Because the inner critic cannot hold up to truth. Nothing can. So can you give us an example, perhaps maybe even from your own life, or but it doesn't have to be, but an example of walking through this with um, real thoughts that people actually have and how it is that this works? Yeah, there's, let's see, let me pause for a moment, see if I can bring up a really solid example of that. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I was at a, a spiritual retreat, and one of the activities we had was to basically be as present as we can while doing an everyday activity. That seems rather trivial, but for most of us, showering for 10 seconds without the ego jumping in about what we have to do the whole day is a challenge in and of itself. So to actually practice presence is, um, it is doing inner work. It is challenging. And so I intentionally chose an activity for something that I'm not good at because I recognize my desire to work with the inner critic. So here I am choosing to draw. And I know I'm not a very good drawer historically. And I'm drawing and drawing. And suddenly I hear this voice that says, that's terrible. I'm looking to, wait a minute, I'm not even trying to be a good drawer here. You know, what is the truth here? So the first thing that I recognized, I judged myself. What is that? That's not me. Then the next part is to forgive myself. Like, okay, I just judged myself. And the third part was the truth. And that's really the, like I said, the key here is that I then started questioning it. Why is it that there is concern about my drawing ability in an activity where my capacity to draw is irrelevant. It's my capacity to be present that's important. And my inner critic was trying to keep me away from being present just by giving me that little judgment. Another really great example um, that came to me as I'd already shared that last one 
is uh, sometimes in my apartment, I would love to just move spontaneously, just throw my arms up in the air and, you know, wave my feet and jump around and whatever. And so one day I did this, and I heard my inner critic inside my head say, you look ridiculous. And I thought about it. I was like, you know, first I had to kind of get some space from it. You know, sometimes we have to do what I consider kind of defending against the inner critic, which isn't necessarily like a battle, but it's it's setting a clear boundary and saying, wait, you need to back off. That wasn't, you know, that was not supportive of what I want. So I said, wait a minute, you know, back off. Then I forgave myself for judging. Okay, that is what happened. And then I started questioning the inner critic. I said, okay, first of all, the blinds are down. Who's watching me? Nobody. Second of all, everybody around, you know, the people below me and out, are all out right now. They're at work. So tell me, who do I really look ridiculous to? And that question took me into my childhood in that when I was five and a half years old, I was the new kid coming from Georgia to California, came in in the middle of the school year. It was February, so kids had already been in school for more than half the year. And as soon as I came into the class, I started getting criticized. I was teased for how I looked. And what I realized is this voice later on in my life, in my apartment while I was dancing, it was trying to keep me from being present with myself and step out of a boundary by telling me how ridiculous I looked based on mm-hmm. a subconscious memory from my childhood. Mm-hmm. So I just started dancing again because an inner critic can't stand up to truth and action. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And... So is there anything helpful about the inner critic at all? In childhood, absolutely. I mean, it kept us alive. It made sure that we didn't get beaten up or beaten or beaten as frequently. It made sure that we were fed. It made sure we had friends. I mean, if we really can be honest with ourselves, the inner critic was a way in which we loved ourselves to try and survive. The problem is... Because the inner critic is developed from the ego, it's a distorted form of love. It's not the true love. It's got lenses and filters. You know, if we think of the ego and the inner critic as filters that are obscuring our view of reality, then we can realize that, yes, it is love that the inner critic came from and manifests, but it just isn't the purest, true form of love that empowers us today. So when we look in relationships, when we look at work, um, let's say we're we're late for work and we're going to hit a red light and we're just panicking because we have a, an important meeting this day and now we're already running late. The inner critic is going to just pummel us. It's going to tell us, you know, we're bad, we're going to lose the job, we're going to get fired, um, you know, our spouses are going to hate us, our kids are going to hate us because we got fired, all because we missed a red light. So the inner critic it really is trying to act from a place of survival, in this case, distorted love, you know, how to keep the organism, you know, our bodies alive. And so there is value in understanding that it is trying to protect us. And the other thing is because it's trying to protect us, there's always something true about it. The problem with the inner critic is that the way it tells us the truth is through judgment. So when we come back to parenting, for example, It is true that I have not acted as a parent in the ways that have always been the way I really wanted to in every moment. Sometimes I've been tired, stressed, and occasionally I've snapped at my son in a way that was not as respectful as I would like to be with him. That's true. What is not true is the inner critic telling me I'm a bad parent because of that. And I think it's really important that people can recognize that because once we get the inner critic out of the way, we can say, okay, I wasn't as present as I wanted to be. What was limiting me from being present? Okay, I was tired. That was one thing that limited me. I was stressed. That was another thing. How can I be more present moving forward? Well, I can get better rest. That's a possibility. I can allow myself to sleep more at night. I can space my activities more. I can be more conscious about what time I am 
going to be spending with my son versus other time that I might be doing other things. And so the inner critic's value now in our present life is immense because it is a pointer to the inauthentic aspects of ourselves that are preventing us from being totally present and in that present moment loving ourselves, being the love that we are in the world, because it may be true that I'm going to have more stressed days and I will be tired. If I can recognize that inner critic and step it out of the way, that's one big step already towards self-love because I'm not identifying with the judgment. But the second piece is using my discerning capacity as a human to say, you know what? I can step more fully into the love that I am now that this other voice that limited me is out of the way. So I really, you know, as I said, you know, I have a passion for the inner critic because every time it comes up, that is just such a golden moment to step more fully into who and what we are. Absolutely. Yes, it is. So by becoming attuned and aware to every time the mind identifies with the judger, the critic, and the and, and the ego, that's the opportunity for us to disengage from that whole system of thought and to remember our true identity. Now, I just want to be clear, Chris, because I, I think some people I can feel are asking questions. So Course in Miracles, and not everybody who listens is a Course in Miracles student, and you don't claim to be a Course in Miracles teacher. So Course in Miracles tell, tells us that the ego is a thought system. It is no thing. And so is there a difference? Do you think there's a difference between the ego thought system and the experience of this inner critic? The, I would say that the inner critic is a subset of the ego thought system. So the the ego thought system is, you know, like John Mundy said, it's that which defines. And so then if we take the inner critic and we realize it's that which defines and judges and compares, we can see that it's really just a subset of that. And so in that, um, actually bringing it back to A Course in Miracles, it's really helpful to see that, as I said earlier, the inner critic is not us. And when we recognize that voice as not being us, it, it's just like you said, the ego is not us. It is not. It does not exist in and of itself. It just is a, um, something that we created in our psyche to protect us when we were younger, but it's not actually real, just like the, the future and the past are not real. They're places in our mind, just like the inner critic is. Now, the Course teaches us to consistently pay attention to what it is we value. So people who are plagued with self-criticism in this voice of the inner critic, uh, there's something about it that they value. And what I'm getting is that you're saying as a child they learned that this voice would help them keep out of trouble in other people's uh, esteem. Correct. And that's exactly how it functions in adulthood as well. And that ties into values. For example, when I mentioned the part about um, being late to work and how that could get us fired and then the family judging us and hating us and so on and so forth, we can really start to see um, – you know, I just actually just lost myself for a moment. Would you please repeat the question? <laughs> I had the train of thought. It disappeared. <laughs> I know what that's like. Um, well, just talking about how um, we become, as as children, we become um, ones who listen to this inner criticism as a way of guiding us so that we don't make mistakes and faux pas and we don't get in trouble, we don't get attacked. So it's keeping us from making mistakes. 
right. uh, th- there's that illusion that that's what this the the ego does that the inner critic does and i i will say chris that um there's when you say that the self critic is a subset of the ego i think it kind of opens to well are there more subsets how many are there what are they and um i would say that yeah uh, Mm -hmm. in to just answer that briefly there's really as many subsets as there are people on the planet because there's that many ways that our ego can manifest. And it can manifest in so many different ways. It just happens to be the inner critic is a very clearly defined way that it manifests in that. And so if we continue working past the inner critic and looking at the ego, we'll see a lot of ways that um, it manifests that are uh, distortions of our true nature. Now to kind of come back to the the value question when we're dealing with something like work and being late what we're really saying is that we value the money or the avoidance of rejection by our peers employer family more than we value being present in the moment and in pretty much all cases when we're dealing with ego and inner critic we're valuing something else and it's almost anything else more than we value truth, more than we value being present, more than we value peace. You know, I, uh, there's a line in the course, I think it says something like, I can choose peace instead of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I quoted it correctly, but that really is it. Are we choosing peace? Is that our value system right now? Because as long as we're just being pinned down by the inner critic, that's a sign that we really are valuing something other than peace, other than presence, other than truth. Well, and the ego thought system would say, the only way you're going to have peace is if you don't make these mistakes. So the inner critic is assisting us in not making those mistakes. That's the theory. Right, and that feels very real. I mean, when we're in the moment, when we are dealing with something i like to use work as a an example because it's so real to all of us and we know that is the source of survival and sustenance and how we get food on the table and and shelter it's a very real example that we don't want to make too many mistakes at work or we will get fired and that may or may not be true we don't know that making too many mistakes will get us fired but our inner critic will tell us that is how reality is And as we've often experienced in life, if we start identifying with some sort of distorted or negative thought, what will happen is we'll start making more mistakes. Oh, you know, if we identify with being someone who makes mistakes, oh, I'm a bad employee, I make mistakes, I'm terrible, we're going to make more mistakes and we're going to identify with it and spiral. If we can stop that judgment and say, you know what, I made a mistake, that doesn't make me a bad person, first step. I made a mistake, I acknowledge the judgment, forgive myself, and then look at the truth. You know, what can I learn from this mistake? How can I step forward? How can I be a more effective employee? Is it true that this is the only job in the world that I can do? Is this the only possible source of support that I have? Um, You know, there's a lot of ways that we can look at this issue of sustenance, because at the heart of it is still this desire to survive. And so when we acknowledge that our real desire is to survive, we can start backtracking and saying, well, is it true that I'll get fired? Is it true that if I get fired, I will be on the street and my family will hate me? Or is it possible that there are other forms of support available to me? Maybe I have friends and family that can uh, tide us over for a little while. Maybe I have some savings that I just really didn't want to use. Maybe there are other jobs that I am perfectly suitable for maybe my spouse will also need to work if she hasn't been. Uh, So we can look at the fact that there's a lot of possible ways to solve challenges, but as long as the inner critic tells us a very specific way that reality is and a very specific way we must behave, we will never see all of those possibilities. We'll just be so tuned in to the negative voice that we can't actually allow the support that is inherent in the world, in the universe, to be there and to support us. 
Well, and and my sense is for many people that inner critic, that voice that's always attacking, and that's the ego is always attacking. It's always tearing down. It's always telling us that we need to be afraid, be very, very afraid. So when people are listening to those thoughts and they move into that fight or flight mode that so often happens and people's adrenals are so intensely affected, when you're that entrenched in this thought system of criticism and attack and it's directed inward, how do you... I mean, I know you're saying, you know, take a step back, but but sometimes if you're in fight-or-flight mode, you can't really take that approach. You know, it feels so daunting. So what What about for someone who's really, they're, they're melting down, they're freaking out. What would you recommend? The first thing I always recommend is to try and get some form of physical grounding. If we can at least have the presence of mind or post-it reminders, if this is something that we need to work with regularly, something that will actually get us to ground into our bodies. I love holding my hands onto a tree and, if possible, bare feet on grass. That's not always possible given contexts. But I love to ground myself physically if I need to, and I don't have nature as a resource. I feel my feet inside my shoes on the ground. If I can put my hand on something like a desk, a chair, anything, and just feel the physical sensation of that contact point, bringing myself into the body in that way does a couple of things. One is it brings us into presence, and that's where we can start to, again, identify with our true nature and less with the inner critic. It gives us a little bit of space between um, the adrenals and the the fierceness of the moment and where we really want to be. So if we can remember to physically sense our body, that's a huge step. And the second thing that that does is a lot of times we feel significant emotional charges in our head, our chest, and our belly. Those are the three most charged energy centers in our body when we're dealing with emotions and survival and things like that. And if we can bring our attention to our hands and our feet, then what happens is some of that charge sort of dissipates and we allow it a little bit more space within ourselves so that, again, we get just a little bit of space because I like to think of it in terms of light and that, you know, if you have just a little bit of light coming in, eventually you can have a little bit more and a little bit more. And Eckhart Tolle talks about this in The Power of Now, how if, you know, even if you experience the moment for just just a half a second, that's a huge start because then you can recognize that you are being present. And the next time, maybe it'll be a second or two seconds. And maybe instead of happening once a day, it'll happen twice a day and three times a day. And so that's one reason why I feel it's really important if we're just in the throes of the moment, do whatever we can to, to land back in our physical body for just a moment Because every time we do that, every time we're triggered again and we're just in that fierce moment, it's one more experience of practicing landing in our body and disidentifying from the moment just a little bit. Because anything that helps us disidentify from the ego or the inner critic is something that's valuable to our development and towards experiencing peace and oneness. So always just ground physically as quickly as we can. Take deep belly breaths. You you did that at the beginning of our session today, you know, our mm-hmm. class. You know, take a, a deep breath into the belly. And like you talked about, put your hand on your heart. I mean, if you can feel your hand on your heart, if you don't have a table or anything else and you don't want to put your hand on the floor, feel your hand on your heart. You talked about that in a previous class as well, about just how that actually activates all of our immune system and healing for several hours and how it actually raises just the the energy and vibration and presence in our body. So take your hand, stick it on your heart, do whatever you need to just to land in your body and get a little bit of distance from the stress of the moment. And if you can, get physical distance. Go for a walk and for five minutes or even one minute, just 
every step you take, feel your feet on the ground. That's, that is one of the most valuable practices I've ever had is walking and just feeling my feet every step, especially when I'm feeling charged or triggered. Well, that's it. That's what I tell people all the time that the, the, um, in the last eight week class we had, uh, for Living a Course of Miracles, one of the teachers was the author Marcy Shimoff, who wrote Happy for No Reason and Love for No Reason. She did a lot of research and I highly recommend those books. They are really helpful. And the part of the research that she did was from the HeartMath Institute, and they have beautiful work, and they actually have a lot of things that you can get free on their website. And one of the things that she learned from them is that centering, placing your hand on your heart and centering in on the breath for just 90 seconds or so, just for a couple minutes, will actually boost your immune system for six hours. And if you think of the inner critic, it's, to me, energetically, emotionally, mentally, it's really like experience a kind of inflammation of the emotional, mental bodies. And uh, the placing the hand on the heart and taking the breaths of gratitude is reconnecting to our spiritual self which truly is unbreakable, unhurtable, undamageable, and it's it's healthy. It's really healthy. And one of the great things about that, placing the hand on the heart and taking those breaths of gratitude, is we can do it even if we're sitting in traffic. We can do it if we're sitting in a meeting or a conference or talking on the phone. We can We can do that, and people really won't even notice. And it's interesting, when Marcy first brought it up on our class call last spring, I realized I I do it all day long. I place my hand on the heart and I take some deep breaths. It's just a way for me to center in. I didn't even know it was boosting my <laughs> immune system. It just was something that I learned to do that was self-nurturing. It just like a natural instinctual thing. And um, what I can tell you is that I also, I notice all the time that particularly as someone who's speaking to many audiences and things like that, that uh, I, I can notice the posture, that the physical posture that people have, and I can tell energetically what it is, where they are in their mind by what their posture is telling me. And so we all know that posture of our arms are crossed across our chest and our legs are crossed, and it's basically like saying, uh-uh, you're not getting in here. you know. And when we cross our arms across our chest like that, it's we're literally protecting our heart. And so when we're in that stance, we are identified with the ego. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. So we can just start to notice any time that we're tensed up like that, we can put our hand on our heart, we can take some breaths of gratitude, and it's about reconnecting to the spirit. So the judger always feels judged. The attacker always feels attacked. So if if we're identified with the that critic, we're gonna we're gonna notice our hands are clenched. We're holding our breath. We're having all of these physical signs that let us know, whoa, you're grinding your teeth, you're gritting your teeth. All these things we can literally shake out our hands and go, whoa, okay. Whew, let's let's come back to to the love, to the openness. So have you what what are the benefits that you notice in your life? Cuz it sounds like you um you've had a lot of experience with this inner critic and this has been something you've really worked with. What are you noticing that's different since you've been doing this work? So much more peace of mind and heart. The fact that I'm 
not identifying with this voice and that when it does come up, I can work with it and, and let go of it so much faster. I'm not stuck in that, that physical stress. I mean, I have less physical stress in my life, like you talked about. Not having the clenched jaw and the hunched shoulders and the tight belly, which are all, you know, trademarks. You know, I remember in, in my previous relationship, it was, you're clenching your jaw again. And I didn't actually have the recognition at that point uh, in my life to really realize what was going on. But, you know, it was at least a reminder to relax. And, you know, I'd feel my shoulders hunched and my belly tight. And so to actually have more physical relaxation is a wonderful experience just to to be able to take life a little bit more easy in a physical level and then also the emotional and, and mental and spiritual level. I mean, from an emotional perspective, I have a lot less negative thoughts, less um, sadness in my life, and any of the inner critic, you know, not enough, um, you know, unworthy, unlovable, those are all identities that I held on to for so long because that was what I experienced early on in life, all of my peers criticizing me. And so to be able to not identify with that so much and say, you know what, I am lovable. And it's not in the sense of an egoic response like, oh, no, I'm going to counteract my unlovability by saying I'm lovable. It's no, I, I am love. And from that space, I am fully lovable and fully able to love. And so that's, you know, one little example on a specific inner critic that I've worked with is is around lovability, but really realizing, like, I can pause more in life. I can slow down more. I'm not as stressed trying to get as much done or as much squeezed into a single day because my inner critic, which it was very big on me for productivity, need to work harder, more, faster, earn more money, be better, um, be perceived better, have the nice things. You know, when I I used to have a six-figure corporate income job and um, the beautiful wife and the, the condo and lots of possessions, and, and I was very identified with that. And then when I entered in my spiritual path, uh, while I can say I don't have those same types of uh, symbols of financial abundance, the inner abundance I feel to know that I am just supported in anything I do and that whatever money I, I want or need will be manifested through my true nature, that's, there's a peace of mind about that that I can't even, I could never communicate effectively to someone what it's like when you know the universe has got your back no matter what. And that can only happen when the inner critic has been stepped aside and you're not identifying with it. Yeah, and I would say that it's even in that space of the universe has your back, but the universe, you know, really, there's nothing to fear. Well, yeah, that's a big part about having your back. Yeah. When you know it fully that it's got your back, there is nothing to fear because anything mm -hmm. you could fear isn't present, isn't real, and even if it was the worst thing in the world, the universe has got your back, you know? I mean, it's still got your back, so... Well, and, and, of course, the miracle students would say that we're safe because our experience, this 3D experience that we're having, is a projection in our mind and that the spirit can't be broken or hurt. And one of the ways for for me to really look at this whole and unwinding the ego mind that we experience as a self-critic is it's really also about being compassionate and loving with others. Absolutely. So, yeah, so it's about developing this mind that is loving and compassionate and understanding and not judging. And then we get into that groove where there's nothing to forgive because so many Course in Miracles people speak about forgiving, 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 you know, and all day long you have to forgive this and you have to forgive that and you have to forgive this and you have to forgive that. And it's an endless forgiving. And that can seem onerous. That can seem like, oh, I have to forgive everybody, everything. Ugh. But the the truth of the matter is, is, 
when we're doing what you're talking about, unwinding this critical voice by not identifying it with it, by not believing it, then what happens is we realize that it is our mandate to be loving and when we are loving there is no judgment and then there is nothing to forgive. So our days are not filled with forgiveness anymore. They are filled with love because we haven't judged anything. Absolutely. You know, when I gave the example earlier about how when we judge, you know, the most detrimental and painful thing we can do is judge ourselves for judging. The second we step back and just choose not to judge ourselves for the judgment, we've already done what you're talking about with, you know, there was nothing to forgive. You know, I I call it forgiveness because it's easy to think of it that way. But the actual energetic and inner experience is we realize there was nothing to forgive. You know, yeah, I judged. Okay, whatever. That was an experience. It happened. It doesn't need to be forgiven. It's not real. It's in the past. It wasn't me. There's nothing to forgive. So I very much uh, appreciate that perspective because it allows us one step past forgiveness, which is no longer to see it as a, a right or a wrong that happened. Because when we see it as a right or a wrong that happened, we're still trying to stuck in that inner critic ego. It's getting past that moment where it's like, it happened, period. That's all. Well, and the, uh, I also, uh, I can hear all the Course in Miracles saying, but it didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen, but there's the perception that it did, you know, within our experience of the illusion of time and space. And the, the whole, this this for me one of the most healing realizations is that as long as i am judging then i am thinking that things should be different yeah. but in each and every moment there is an opportunity to awaken to have a realization of the truth to have a greater understanding And all of our experiences, this is what the Course is telling us, all of our experiences are for learning, for learning our true identity and the true identity of our brothers and sisters. So if we're thinking that things shouldn't have happened, we cannot harvest the learning that is encoded into our experiences, and so we are doomed to repeat them. Because we are saying that learning has no value for me. My judgments are what have value for me. Yeah, absolutely. And along those lines, one thing that really has helped me is around the moment being different than it should be, is recognizing if the moment should have been different, it would have been different. <laughs> you know, and I can remind myself that anytime I'm, you know, identifying with how things should have been, it's like, no, if it should have been, it would have been. It wasn't mm-hmm. different. This is what is now. And it's my mm-hmm. mind that's trying to take me away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the ego is always trying to distract us from the opportunity to be loving. Absolutely. Hmm. So when did you start working with unwinding this habit of self-criticism? About five years ago, 2006, that was Mm -hmm. when I first kind of was thrust onto the spiritual path and very quickly realized that um, the inner critic was is pretty fierce once we become aware of it. You know, first step is we most of the time we don't even know that that voice is in our head telling us we're not enough in some way. So to have recognized that was just a huge step. But it was about five years ago when I first started. And what's the major difference that you notice? What are some of the benefits that you notice since you made this shift? Well, the <clears throat> some of the ones I mentioned earlier about my physical body, that's huge. So much more relaxation. So much more peace of mind knowing that the universe has my back, that whatever I'm doing is okay. This is what's in the moment. This is how it is. 
and the universe has my back and I can move forward in peace knowing that what I really value is the present moment, really value the truth that the future isn't here yet. And I used to get so, I used to think that I lived in the present moment because I didn't consciously identify with the past. I didn't realize how much I lived in the future. And so mm-hmm. this has really helped me to step back and, and be more present, be more relaxed, be more loving. I mean, to recognize anytime I'm judging myself or another, I am distancing myself from what I really value. And it's an opportunity, like you said, to a learning opportunity to come back and, and have a more accurate perception of reality and not identify. You know, we think we hear the stories about millionaires who got all the money and found out they weren't happy. And I like to bypass that whole thing and realize I can follow a path and prioritize, you know, my happiness or really my peace, truth, and present moment over the money that I may think that I need. And so it's really helped me. I, like I said, I've left the corporate world and many aspects of my outer life have totally deconstructed. Um, I was divorced in 2009, voluntarily laid off in 2009, and foreclosed on my home in 2009. It was a, a brutal year on the outer side, out, outward perspective. Inwardly, though, I knew the universe had my back, and I knew that all the pieces of my life were deconstructing that didn't work so that it could make room for me to step more fully into my true nature and live in a way that does work in the world. And so it's every day just greater and greater blessings, better relationships with people. I get to be authentic without the fear of this mask over my face, like, oh, my gosh, I have to be a certain person for this person. I can just step forward and be like, okay, this is what's true in the present moment, and I'm going to be myself. And so there's a real peace and a self-love that happens Mm -hmm. by being able to be more authentic, and that happens Mm -hmm. when we step outside of the inner critic and the ways it tries to tell us to be for this person or that person or ourselves. It's a liberation. Yeah, I love that word. It's part of my product title, Liberate Your Life. You know, it's uh, it's a beautiful word. And can you just, I can feel that some people would like to have more clarity. When you say the universe has your back, what does that mean? Ultimately, it's the awareness that I'm okay no matter what. And we can look Mm -hmm. at that in in a couple of ways. One is from the very grounded, real-world perspective of I'm okay. I'm alive. I'm fed. I am here. I am capable of being in this present moment right now. But then the deeper sense of it is, is that universal sense that, you know, if we really aren't a body and we are one with the universe and all of this body is perception, then... I'm really always okay, no matter what, whether I'm alive or not. So there's there's both of those senses, but really it's that when we're dealing with the inner critic, we're still identified with being here and the personality, so it's helpful to see it as, I'm okay right now, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, what it sounds like is that you're you're experiencing faith through your trust in God. Yeah. Absolutely. Mhm. Mhm. And what can be more loving than that? Well, it's uh it's a profound shift. It is a profound shift and it's it's challenging. It's very challenging to step into that awareness. And the challenge is because we have placed so much value for so long on our own opinions. And so when we're willing to trust instead, in, as the Course says, in the thoughts we think with God, to trust in God and to no longer trust in our own opinions and judgments, then everything it, that's that's the seek first the kingdom and all else will be added unto you. When we are willing to place our trust in God and experience a true faith, 
then everything else is added unto us. What's added unto us is the experience of abundance, the experience of love, the experience of joy that is unconditional, the experience of wisdom and creativity and freedom, liberation. It's the experience of all those other things are added unto us when we seek the kingdom first. If we are identified with the inner critic, we're not we're for sure not looking inside for the kingdom because we're basically saying there is no kingdom. <laughs> there's only my attack thoughts and there's much to be afraid of because that's that's the message of the ego. Don't you dare, don't you dare trust. No, you can only rely on your own opinions. Yeah, it's up to you. And to that's do what's everything. terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's stressful thinking you have to do it all. Oh, it's exactly. Of course it's stressful. It's it's uh, it's a huge burden on the nervous system. And so that's the great thing is when we're feeling physically stressed, it is a it is an indicator that we are not relying on God. We are relying on our own means, our own opinions, and we're trying to manage everything ourselves. <laughs> And we can we can stop making ourselves sick and miserable. So, well, I we're gonna we're gonna close out here. I'm gonna say a prayer for us. And just before I do that, stay stay tuned for the healing prayer. Don't 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 hang up. And uh, I also want to just remind you that 12 hours from now we'll be doing the homework class. And in that class, we're gonna do some deep healing. So if this is your uh, concern if this is something where you feel you can really get some benefit is doing this work of healing the inner critic and learning to really love and appreciate yourself. Come back in 12 hours or come back and listen to the replays. Either one, it's all good. And uh, as I've been saying each week, I love that early morning class time. For me, I'm in the Pacific time zone, so it's uh, 7 a.m. and it is super yummy. And the deep listening that people bring to the homework class is much appreciated. So I'm giving thanks in advance. So I, I want to thank you, Chris Cade, for your wisdom, for your beautiful heart, and your willingness to be of service. And tell it to everyone again, what is your website address if people want to connect in and get some more goodies from you? chriscade.com that's where you can learn more about me and get whatever you want that I have to offer lots of free stuff Mm. I know people will be showing up to get their goodies so let's all place our hand on our heart again and take a deep breath of gratitude again and let's consciously bring our brothers and our sisters into our mind and particularly anyone we know of who struggles with self-doubt, self-criticism, shame. Just bringing their heart and mind into our awareness because we're one with them. And we're consciously intending to share the benefits of our healing with all beings. So we once again bring our attention to the higher self, the holy self, the Holy Spirit and release any sense of being identified with a critic or an ego thought system, releasing any need to judge, to tear down and also releasing the the need to micromanage and control and manipulate all these egoic habits. We don't have to fight them. We don't have to argue with them. Simply right now cultivating our willingness so that we stand in a total willingness to know the truth about our lives and about everyone else. So grateful and thankful to remember that It is our true nature to be loving, to be peaceful, and to be free. And right now, in this very moment, we're accepting that. This is our destiny. And we are so grateful to accept it together 
right now and to share the benefits with everyone. In gratitude, we say amen. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Oh, thank you again, Chris. And much love to everybody. Have a great week, and I'll be back in the morning, 12 hours from now. <laughs> Good night, everyone. This is Jennifer Hadley again. I invite you to remember that your dedication to your life of love is the best gift that you can share with the world. Love is the only healer, and it's always available to you for the asking. Remember, too, that you cannot have that which you're unwilling to share. Share the love today. Love out loud and know that all boats rise on this holy tide of love. Thank you for joining us. Please go to JenniferHadley.com for more tools and practical loving support every day.